0: You know, we're being reminded at this time of something very important. And that is that the family unit is the church. Family unit is the church. So the church is made up of families. And as goes the family, so goes the church. And you're being reminded of that as you're, as you're sitting together at home, in your family. And, uh, you know, over the next several weeks, we don't know how long we'll be socially um, isolating or physically separate, but you're not separate at home. So I want to encourage you to reestablish the family church and the disciplines. Last week at our family, we were able to read what Elder Wilson had suggested with us last week, the impending conflict. We read that chapter together, and we're able to do things that we normally wouldn't do because we're rushing here and rushing there. Maybe it would be a good idea to have some families take over the services on the weekend so we can see them leading the church here as well. So um, so we're glad that you're here tonight. Uh, tonight we want to look at um, some issues concerning... Spiritual immunity um, as well. So, you know, this last week, um, our president from Weimar College, Dr. Neil Nedley, was part of a panel discussion that looked at the 1918 flu and what had happened there with God's people in uh, treating people for that flu with using things like hydrotherapy and fomentations. They called it hydrothermal therapy. They want to make it sound a little more up-to-date, I guess, but it's basically hydrotherapy and fomentations. And there were a number of uh, presenters, and one of them we had interviewed uh, not so long ago, Roger Schwelt, um, as well. He's a pulmonologist. And uh, as we uh, listened to him, he was reviewing all of the science that had to go um, behind this idea of, of hydrothermal therapy. And okay, I just plugged it in. I'm sorry, it was my problem. So it wasn't plugged in all the way. So it should come up on the screen, sure. so I'm gonna show you that flyer there. And then uh, it should come up here in a minute. And then he was talking about this idea that the coronavirus has a certain course of disease. Phase one, you can see there, up to the time of infection. And then after you get infected, you don't really know you're infected. You feel great. You feel fine. You feel just the same, perhaps, for five days. And this is the problem. This is why there's quarantining of people that don't even look sick. And um, then finally comes the symptoms. Cough, fever, um, maybe, maybe some other things. And then those symptoms go on for seven days, and then you have admission, perhaps, to the hospital if you haven't survived it, and then you have worse, short of breath. Now, the the recent things coming out, just every day I'm reading stuff about this because I'm a part of a committee here that has to keep track of things, but now what they're finding is they try and keep people off the ventilators as long as possible. They try and turn them on their sides or on their backs, and they're using different beds and stuff because if they can avoid getting on a ventilator, it's always best. And But then if they get on the ventilator, it's uh, about a 50-50 chance they make it with adult respiratory distress syndrome in the ICU. And then, of course, they either make it or they don't at that time. So as they looked at the course of the disease, phase one is that infection, phase two is uh, 20% go to the hospital, the ICU, the ventilator, and if they don't make it death, 80% have immune system success. So as you know, as we look back at that, they said, look, during this seven day time period, during this time period where, or even before that, during phase one, where you know that you're probably be exposed at some time in your life to this over the next year, before they get a vaccine or something else, you know you're gonna be exposed. Why not work on enhancing your immunity? So that's what we've been talking about here at Weimar. Then also, when you get the symptoms, for sure, start treating them. Do, uh, do treatments just like you would do um, for pneumonia and different things. And by the way, they went through those tra- treatments and whatnot, and we have a series of videos actually coming out on those. And then comes admission. And then if you're admitted... And now there's a couple studies going on right now where they're actually doing studies in ICUs where they're actually giving hydrothermal therapy to people on the floor and in the ICU. And that's exciting. They're studying that to see what happens because they believe that some of these simple things that happened long ago with the Spanish flu would also help with that situation. So their working hypothesis, according to Dr. Schwelt, was that the SARS corneovirus downregulates innate immunity it kind of sneaks past it and it especially doesn't allow the monocytes to express themselves those are turned into macrophages and different things so what we want to do is to um, <clears throat> enhance inmate immunity which is not strong enough and, and strengthen it the natural killer cells the monocytes and then this might even stop or prevent us from getting that. So these are the cells. You see these, uh, they come from the uh, bones. You have the mast cells, the basal cells. And then you have that monocyte that has a red box around it. And those then are, they they go into the dendritic cells or the macrophages. And those macrophages are the ones that actually go in and they lock onto the virus. And then they uh, engulf it and kill it. And so what the virus has done is kind of been able to sneak past those. But if you can wake them up with hot and cold and different things, you can, uh, you can enhance and robust your innate immune system. But I want to talk about some spiritual things <clears throat> that we're discovering as well. They've also discovered that there is a direct relationship, correlation between unforgiveness and our immune system, which directly affects our healing processes. In other words, if in your life you have anger, you have bitterness, you're upset with somebody, and you have a lack of forgiveness for that person, it decreases your immune system. So this would be a great time to bury the hatchet, to say you're sorry, to ask for forgiveness, or to extend forgiveness. What do you say? This would be a great time to do that right now. To ruminate on an old transgression is to practice unforgiveness. So if you're thinking about things and you're you keep putting them over in your, your brain and again and again. And you're upset. You're seething. Maybe, maybe you're upset because something had happened 40 years ago and you still can't get over it. Maybe the person asks you forgiveness and uh, you won't forgive them. And it just is now coming up during this time of stress. This is a very bad thing for your immune system. And so uh, this is the lack of forgiveness. Now, ang- angry Hostile interactions are known also, another research here from the University of Oxford, um, religion and health. um, Angry hostile interactions are known to have a negative impact on immune function. Hostile behavior is associated with decreased natural killer cytotoxicity. In other words, those natural killer cells, they can't kill like they normally do because you're killing them because you're not forgiving You're bitter and you're angry and you're killing yourself. You're killing your own protective cells when you don't forgive someone else. And there's decreased lymphocyte proliferation. What does that mean? There is not a great production of white blood cells. And those white blood cells are what are made into all the various different forms of of cells that you need to protect yourself. And if you're not forgiving, they're not living. And then you're not being protected. And there's also an increase in antibody uh, titer to Epstein-Barr virus. In other words, this virus, Epstein-Barr, is another virus. You're unable to contain the virus when you're not forgiving. Your lack of forgiveness does not allow your body to protect itself against viruses. How many think you might want to be able to protect yourself against viruses? Now, you don't have to go to a doctor to get a medication for forgiveness. You don't need to, um, you know... Go and spend a lot of money. It's very simple. Pick up the phone. Write a letter. Kneel down. Ask God for forgiveness. He says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's a forgiving God. He's a forgiving God. Everybody that's in heaven will have been forgiven and will be forgiving. This is the mark of the Lamb. Have you heard of the mark of the beast? The mark of the beast is the accuser of the brethren. He accuses them day and night. He's always upset. He's always angry. But the mark of the lamb is to not only understand that you're forgiven and have gratitude because of that. By the way, gratitude is also an immune booster. (laughs) But not only have gratitude for that, but then to be forgiving towards others. Now, there's another thing. The view of God as benevolent and forgiving or punishing and judgmental predicts um, the uh, the of viral load as well in HIV people. So if you believe that God is benevolent and forgiving which he is of course right? He is a forgiving God that's what it says in the Bible again and again. If you believe that that's good. If you believe he's a negative God harsh judgmental punishing there's a big difference. If you have a positive view You have slower disease progression with HIV, which is a viral-type infection. And you have better preservation of the CD4 cells. What are the CD4 cells? The CD4 cells are the ones that tell the CD8 cells, which are the killer cells, to get rid of the viruses. And so if you, in fact, have a positive view of God, your generals who tell the other cells to do things to get rid of the viral cells, they actually function more effectively. But if you have a negative view of God, you think he's harsh, judgmental, unforgiving, predicts a faster disease progression over four years of time. How we think that's kind of interesting? So that's number one. Another thing that can boost our immunity, we already did some of this tonight, and that is in the area of music, singing and health. So we sang tonight, we sang even though there was basically nobody here, and by the way, you know, I've never heard myself sound like that before. I filled the whole room. I, I could I could actually hear myself singing. Usually, when I'm here, I can hear all you guys singing, and I can't hear my own lovely voice. But tonight, I was able to hear myself sing. And man, I kind of how many of you noticed? I held up some notes, and I yeah, it was great. It was almost like I was singing a solo or something. Well, anyway, singing and hell decreased feelings of anxiety, loneliness, and depression. How many of you think that might be good right now? When you're at home, you're isolated, you feel lonely. Start singing. And next time I'm singing, sing with me on the TV. I was home last week watching the service here, and I was singing at the top of my lungs in my house. My kids looked at me. I said, what have you guys been doing when I'm not here? You're supposed to be singing like this. And when they knelt down, I knelt down. When they stood up, I stood up. When they turned in the offering, uh, I went outside. But no, I should have. I should have turned in the offering too, but I didn't have anybody to turn it into. So anxiety, loneliness, depression, Children who sing in choirs, they get better grades. Choristers choristers are also nicer, um, they say. They were found to volunteer significantly more than the general public and give more money to charity. Studies show that brain activity involved with learning music helps counteract the effects of aging and cognitive decline. By the way, aging is not good for your immune system. So if you can put it off, it increases your immune response. It enhances neuroplasticity can make more cells and regenerate them. It increases gray matter and the number and strength of neural connections in the brain. So you're smarter, you remember more. It relieves tension, headaches, and symptoms of irritable bowel syndrome. Also helps people with asthma and bronchitis to breathe. By the way, you want to you breathe better at this time because if that virus gets down in there, it's a respiratory problem, right? So this would be good for it. But also, look at this. They also can help in in increasing the body's production of the antibody immunoglobulin A and natural killer cells. The cells that attack invading viruses and boost the immune system's effectiveness. Look at that! So if you're singing, you directly are countering the activity of Viruses. Man, I think you should be singing all day. Just go around singing. If you go to the store, if you have to go out, sing. Might even drive people away that have the virus. You never know. It might, <laughs> and it also reduces the level of the stress hormone cortisol, which is also, if the cortisol goes up, it's attacking your immune system. It needs to go down so you're not stressed. And by the way, they, uh, the e-cancer medical science had an article: singing modulates mood, stress cortisol, cytokine, and neuropeptide activity in cancer patients and carers as well. So the people taking care, they actually are better. The people who are sick, they actually have more cells, white blood cells, natural killer cells, cytokines, are are cytokines, they're they're cells that go out and they, they they will attack cancer cells, they will attack viruses, they'll attack anything And singing modulates the mood and stress and upticks it. The Recent research found activity was boosted in cancer patients and caregivers that sang for an hour in a choir. So look, we didn't sing long enough. We only sang 15 minutes. So you're going to have to work in some more singing. When we do our depression and anxiety recovery program, we sing an hour a day. An hour a day. Because we know how powerful this is. So... Singing is a big one. What about hope? Another one is hope. Having hope will also increase your ability to fight off infections. Now Plato, he didn't believe in hope. He said it was foolish. And Sophocles also joined him and said, human suffering is prolonged by hope. And Ben Franklin, the first American citizen, at least that's what they call him in the history books, he said, anyone who lives on hope will die fasting. And Friedrich Nietzsche, not known for his uh, positive attitude, um, he said, Hope is the most evil of evils because it prolongs man's torment. Think something might get better. See, these guys were not up on hope. They didn't think it was very good. And this Nikos Kanzads, Kanzantzakis um, sounds like a, a Greek name. Sounds like I'm about order to order some falafel and some, oh man, I'm getting hungry. Anyway, Nikos, he said this, I hope for nothing. I fear nothing. Therefore, I am free. See, these guys were not up on hope. And this is the interesting thing. They're missing out because hope actually correlated with CD4 classification levels. If you have more hope, your CD4 levels go up. Your CD8 levels go up. If you have hope, if you believe that God's going to get you through something or that you're going to get through something and you have hope, it increases your immune cells. Wow, that's powerful. CD4 cells are the ones that play an important role in the immune system. It gives you an indication of the health of your immune system, your natural defense system against pathogens, infections, and illnesses. So, look, the reason we, we come to church, the reason we have midweek service, the reason I'm here, even though you're not, is because I'm hoping you're watching. Because if you're watching and you're singing and you're involved, guess what it's going to do? It's going to increase your hope. And I think that's important. Important enough that I drove over here and went through a bunch of things to do this service with nobody here. Except you. Okay? Because I want your hope to increase. Wow. So, hey, by the way, text me. Email me. Text me right now if you're watching. Say, hey, look, you're encouraging me. You're giving me hope. Let me know that you're out there. Now let's talk about hope just for a minute hope is made up of two things there's the will to live and there's the way to live so hope is not just some amorphous thing something without a body or a structure hope is actually broken down in these main elements a will to go forward. I will go forward I will finish the semester even though I'm, I'm on classes on Zoom and I have to travel home I will complete my assi- assignments because I believe. Or hope. I hope we can have graduation. I really do. Now I really appreciate everything I've been through. Oh, I would take anything to have a graduation. Will there be one? Is there a way forward? And some of you have been emailing and saying, is there a way we can do this? And by the way, we're looking for all kinds of ways to do that. Because we would love to have graduation. And to see your smiling faces and those of your family. So, but hope is made up of two things. Will and way Forward. And when that happens, you can have a high expectation for goal attainment. Both pathway and agency. Um, pathways, that's the way forward, and agency, that's the will to go forward, are required for hope. Oh, I got just got a text. One text. We are increasing our hope. God bless you. Thank you. Someone else texts me so I know I'm not here alone. That really encouraged me increase my hope. Okay, so um, if you are If you're feeling like you don't have a will to go forward, you need to be with people who can encourage you. And then the way forward or agency, you need to be with people who can strategize, who can help you say, yeah, I see that obstacle. I see that. But what about this way? What about that way? You know, I think God's kind of blessed me with that a little bit. I can help people maybe see different ways around stuff. Maybe he's blessed you as well with that. So clarify your goals if you do that. If you know, by the way, if you, you, know, if you don't know what you're sh- shooting at, if you don't know what you're shooting at, you probably will hit it, right? So you want to make sure you've got a target, a goal. And uh, clarify that goal that will increase your agency. And then look for those barriers and adjust them. And then as you go forward in progress, um, that pathway and that agency relationship strengthens. In other words, if you can have someone else working with you on the goal... Working together, that is also a real blessing and also increases the possibility of you accomplishing that goal. So have that Zoom class period, get together on that that chat and encourage one another and your goal will be realized, you will realize your hope. Now here's the interesting thing. Hope... Was, was, was downplayed by all those people. Remember all those very significant philosophers? They didn't even believe in hope. They talked against hope. They said hope is nothing. But look at this. It was not until the Jewish Torah, that's the first five books of the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, was hope seen as a good thing. The Torah talked about hope. And the Judeo-Christian tradition elevated hope to the equivalent of faith, and love hope faith and love in the virtue of human beings maybe this is why Christians live on average 14 years longer than people that are not Christians maybe this is why people at age 55 and beyond Jewish people live about 28 years longer than other people and 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 maybe that's why Seventh-day Adventists who have both the Jewish understanding and also the Christian understanding live the longest because they're actually reading the Pentateuch. And the Pentateuch is filled with hope. And by the way, the Psalms, they go right with the Pentateuch. You've got the five books of Psalms, the five you know, categories of Psalms that go with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So when you're singing, there are many times Psalms that will bring you out of despondency and into hope, and we remind you of those stories in the Pentateuch. And this is why Paul said, We are saved by hope. Wow, we're saved by what? Saved by hope. That's what the scriptures say. So not only do we want to remember hope for ourselves and encourage one another, we want to be encouraging other people as well. And I just want to remind you of this, you know. We have a website wherever you're going. Maybe you're at home. Uh, go to tciweemar.com. T C I. W E I M A R dot com. And you can see this web, website and you can email us, tci at wemar.edu. Um, and we set this up for our community. And uh, on the website, there's all kinds of videos and all kinds of things that can give people hope and help with all those phases with the coronavirus. If you don't have it, if you have some, you know, have some symptoms, all those different things. We have videos and different things to try and help as well. And that's another thing, by the way. Altruism was found to predict slower HIV disease progression and lower viral loads. What is altruism? That means helping somebody with no thought of benefit or reward. It's so-called sacrificial service. And if you can go out and help people with no thought of reward and not really trying to protect yourself, that is altruism, and it actually has been shown to decrease viral loads in people that are dealing with um, the human insufficiency virus or HIV. How many think that's kind of interesting? So right now, you know, you're thinking, well, maybe I'll distance myself from that person the other. And, and it's good to follow those government guidelines, but can you still help people, even though you have to stay away from them? Are there ways that you can find to reach out to them? That's why I'm giving you the website. Put it, you know, send it out on social media. Maybe take one of the videos off and say, watch this one, watch that one. Maybe, you know, send one a day to your friends. But keep reaching out because as you do that, it is increasing your immune response. Now, The Bible even talks about this principle. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6 through 9. Let's read it together. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? So they were fasting and they were fighting with each other and they loved to go to prayer conferences, but they weren't really helping anybody. But here in Isaiah 58, it's a different kind of fast. Fasting and prayer that's connected with actual activity. How many of you have ever been in a prayer group that prayed all the time but never really did anything for anybody? That's probably not the, the full meal deal. You want to have both prayer and activity. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of what? Wickedness. What does that mean? Well, you got somebody who's smoking. How many think it might be a good time to help someone stop smoking right now when the coronavirus is coming? Yeah, because smoking goes right down into your lungs, all those poisons. It decreases your immune system. It has your lungs always working on trying to get all that smoke out. It would be a great time to stop smoking and help someone get out of that bond of wickedness. Well, I said, why do I say smoking is wicked? Because it kills you. It's the single most preventable cause of death in America. And if it kills you, it's not good. It's wicked. So to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens... Maybe you are, uh, there's someone who is addicted, they're, they're, they're caught, and they can't get out of it, and they need your help. Were well, there are people like this in the Bible? They needed help to go to see Jesus. Remember those people that took the people to see Jesus? Um, or what about people that are in uh, drug addiction or other things? You know, they talk in the Bible about sheep that are, that are cast down. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Remember that psalm? And a sheep, when it was was cast down, it couldn't get up on its own. It couldn't get out of the valley of the shadow of death. You know, that valley of the shadow of death that Psalm 23 talks about. The only way it could get out is if the shepherd took his staff and put it around his neck and pulled him out. That's the only way it could get out. And so this is what it means. To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke is it not to share your bread with the hungry or that you cast or bring to your house the poor who are cast out? I talked to a man yesterday and he was helping one of the students here with some resources to finish the semester because they didn't have finances. And I was thanking him for that. And he said, I wish I could do more, but I can't because I deferred all my wages. I said, what do you mean you deferred your wages? He says, for the next three months, I'm giving all my money away to the people in my church that have lost their jobs. I don't need the money, but they need the money. How many think that's, that's, that's fulfilling this? This is altruism. It is uh, sharing the bread with the hungry. Bring to your house the poor who are cast out. And that when you see the naked, you cover him. And that you hide not yourself from your own flesh, taking care of the people in your own house. Then what's the promise if you do that? What's the promise if you're involved in these altruistic acts? What's the promise? then your light shall break forth like the morning and your healing shall spring forth speedily. What's it saying? The research says, if you're involved in altruism, it decreases viral loads. It helps you fight off viruses. It helps you get rid of them. And this text is saying exactly the same thing. If you're helping people, what will it do? (laughs) What will it do? It will Make your healing spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. By the way, that righteousness is given to you by Christ, right? Your righteousness is His righteousness because of yourself you can't be altruistic. You can't do any of this unless you're like Christ. And I'm going to show you a very interesting article in just a second. But if you look at Christ, this is what He did. Did He come out of heaven? Is heaven? Is there any sin in heaven? No, He kicked it all out, right? So He comes down into the quarantine zone down, down, through the ionosphere, through the stratosphere, through the atmosphere, and he comes down, 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 and he comes into uh, the world, and he doesn't come to the best place. He comes to the worst place. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And he comes to the poorest place. He comes to the place where most people living today are very poor in Africa. And he comes to a place that's under a dictatorship. And he comes to a place that looks very bad. And he goes down, 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 down to identify with the outcast. And then he helps them altruistically. And when people see what Jesus did, then they're filled with gratitude. They give their hearts to him. They give their lives to him. And then he covers them with his righteousness. And then his righteousness goes before them. They start being like him. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear gun. So here you have his righteousness goes before you. His glory is behind you. You're not going to get attacked from behind or before. You know, the virus is not going to attack you from behind or before, you know, or, or, the, or the sickness or the illness or whatever it is you're attacking it. Then you shall call and the Lord shall answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. At the first part of the chapter, you go grab, they were praying and no one was answering. But now, because they're involved in having prayers that are connected with actual Altruistic, not just self-serving, but altruistic activity, true, uh, disinterested benevolence, not having anything in it for you, but just doing it to help others. God begins to be very present in people's lives like that, not just for physical healing, but also spiritual connection. Now this is a picture of my grandfather, my great-grandfather. Do I look like him? Going to take off. What do you think? Maybe not at all. This right here? No. Yeah, his eyes are bigger. Okay. This. Thank you very much. Um, I don't want to know if I need you as a part of the worship team in the in the future. But anyway, so um, uh, you can text me if you think that that I look like him. I haven't gotten very more text. I just had a couple texts tonight. So anyway, this is my great grandfather. Now, my great grandfather, he lived during this time of the Spanish flu. And he had learned. He had gone to Boulder, Colorado, to the hospital, the sanitarium there. And they had given him to the hydro guys. And the hydro guys had sprayed him all different ways. And he had learned all about hydrotherapy. And then his wife, May, that was my great-grandmother. One of my daughter's middle name is May. And one of my son's middle name is Malcolm, after these two people. And they went out and they started to help people. And you know, they talked about how they saved the lives of 40 people that the doctors had given up on. And then came the time of the Spanish flu, and they were up in Canada at the time. And the Spanish flu hit up there, and there was a lady there. She, he tells about it in his memoirs, a big lady, but she was about dead. She was unconscious, and went in and said, what are you doing to the nurse? She says, I'm just pulling the curtain because he's about to die. She said, well, do you want her to die? She says, I don't know what to do. All the doctors are too busy. They had a system that was overwhelmed. Does that sound familiar? That a system that was overwhelmed, and they didn't even have ventilators back then. The only thing they knew how to do were these hydrotherapy treatments that I talked about er- earlier. You need to learn about those hydrotherapy treatments. So he goes in there and he says, well, look, get me six of your best blankets. Get me a cotton sheet and heat it up. Bring all the water you can. Heat up some water make it as hot as you can. Then he put down that hot water. He put a blanket over and he laid the lady on it, and he wrapped her up in the sheets really tight, put something cool on her head, said, leave her there for two hours. And then, what do I do? When the, well, then what do I do? Well, then fix up that bed and move her to that bed and do it again. And if she's not better by then, she's probably not going to get better, but she probably will get better. I and mean, she got better. In fact, they had about 50 different cases that were given them because the doctors were too busy. And you know what he says? It really touches me when I read it every time. He says, God was good to us. We didn't lose One person. See, this was Isaiah 58. Did he have to do that? Did he have to go to the hospital? Did he have to help the people at the hospital? No, that was altruistic service. And as a result of that, you know, people loved him because they knew the Lord was working in him. And he started about 40 different churches. 40 different churches. Altruistic service. Now, this is something. I want to end with this. This is something. By the way, have you been blessed by the different things we can do to increase our spiritual immunity? These are things that you don't have to get a pill for. These are things that you can do at church or at the home church where you are. Now, this is what really got my attention. Does religion influence influence epidemics? Does religion influence epidemics? And I don't know if you can see my screen or not, but let me just go off the screen here. Can you see that? Let me see if I can find this document. I want to show you this. Okay, Here's the, here's the document. I'm going to try and make it bigger here so I can uh, scroll down the document. Okay, can you see it now? Let's just read this document together. <laughs> Does religion influence epidemics? Whether they believe in God, evolutionary biologists need pay closer mind, may need to pay closer mind to religion. That's because religious beliefs can shape key behaviors in ways that evolutionary theory would not predict, particularly when it comes to dealing with disease. So this evolutionary biologist, says, look, this is amazing. Well, what was so amazing to him? He was talking about people that were serving, people that had AIDS in Malawi. Although not a religious person, Hughes has long been fascinated by the power of religion to get people to behave in waves they might not otherwise behave. An extreme example is this. When someone tends to the sick, risking infection, or at least in earlier times, death as a result. So they would help people even though they might die. A behavior that doesn't make much sense from an evolutionary perspective, particularly if a sick person is not kin. And for evolutionary biologists, the question is not whether religion is correct, but how people uh, behave thinking there might be a God. So they they don't want to admit there's a God, but they're going, look, this is odd. It doesn't go with evolutionary theory. Evolution teaches, what does it teach? The survival of what? The survival of the fittest. Who cares if people are dying? You know, as I've watched the different nations around the world, you know what I've discovered? Not many people are true evolutionists they don't really believe in evolution they're they're working together they're sending masks to each other they're asking for ventilators they're rushing people people are helping one another that is totally opposite evolutionary theory and you know what? that's a beautiful thing a couple weeks ago I read about these Italian doctors all atheists all raised to believe in evolutionary biology and then they were physicians but then they saw all these people dying and they realized they don't know what they're doing they need help and they knew that there's only person one person could help them and that was God and the only reason they knew that was because a minister came in and he was gonna die <clears throat> but he spent his time helping other people that were dying and then they saw him <clears throat> giving them his life and his life being poured out and when he died they said we want to be like that We want to have a relationship like that. We want to have peace like God like that. And they're no longer evolutionary believers. Wow. So this is a fascinating article. Now notice what happens. Researchers looked down here at the history of religion, and they looked at how uh, people deal with religions, and religions deal with disease. And they found that between 800 B.C. and 200 B.C., Cities flourished, deadly plagues arose, capable of killing off two-thirds of the population, but several modern religions emerged. These religions all had a different take on disease, which affected how people responded to epidemics, such as polio, measles, smallpox. The belief systems, for example, influenced whether a person fled from disease or tried to help those who were sick. Now notice this, very interesting, what it says next. The Christian tradition, set by the example of Jesus as a healer, stands out, Hugh says. Healing the sick was one way to ensure a trip to heaven, so risking death from a disease spread was encouraged. I don't know if that's completely accurate, but they would help people even though they were dying. Other religions did not promote such extreme altruism. Then he talks about Islamic teachings basically disavowed the existence of contagious disease, although some people understood it. Jewish believers attributed the death of God to God's will and promoted the idea that only God could heal, so they weren't as engaged. But you know what? The Christians were more engaged than anybody else. The Christians went out there and helped. In fact, they surveyed in Malawi... 3,000 people from 1,000 villages across that African country. And they ask questions about religion and AIDS. In other words, autoimmune deficiency syndrome. Immunity is down. Unable to fight off the uh, human insufficiency virus, which um, affects one in 14 Malawians as the leading cause of death. Notice what happens. Some religions were in Christian communities and others in Muslim. And some were mixed. This is what really got me. About... 30% of Christians regularly visited the sick that had AIDS. Whereas in the Muslim communities, only 7% did. And they attribute this to the fact in the study that they were Christians and trying to be like Christ. And so they were helping people who were sick. And then in the past five years, it says 400 of those responding have shifted religions, many of them moving to Pentecostal or African independent churches. Places where the promise of receiving care is greater and the stigma of AIDS is less. How many think that's a fascinating article? Fascinating. Why is it so fascinating? Because as we look to Christ, as we look to his way of dealing with sickness and disease, we realize that his example was to spend and be spent for the cause. His example was sacrificial service. And uh, he didn't die because of a physical sickness. He took all, he, he was doing all the physical things. He, he probably act, walked on an average, they think, of 20 to 25 miles a day. He had a wonderful diet. He was filled with hope. He was filled with forgiveness. He had all these different things going. You know what he died of? He died of a broken heart because people were so mean to each other. It broke his heart. And he took the sin of the world upon himself. And he came, he was born, and he lived here to identify in the midst of a quarantine situation. He went past all the borders to die for you and for me in sacrificial service. So I don't know how God's going to use this message in your life, but maybe it'll be just visiting someone to deliver some medicine or some food. doesn't mean you have to come closer than you need to, being wise. Or maybe it's going to inspire you. You're a nurse on the front lines. You're going every day and you're wearing personal protective equipment. God bless you. Maybe you're a doctor. God bless you. You're doing the right thing. And the motive that can can inspire you is that motive of Isaiah 58, the motive of Christ himself. How many of you are thankful for the nurses and for the doctors and for all the people working to bring healing and hope at this time? Well, let's pray together as we close this evening. Father in Heaven, Lord, we're so thankful this evening that we could spend just a thoughtful hour singing and contemplating um, spiritual immunity and the things we can do spiritually that would boost not only our own immune system but would help us help others boost their systems, their immune systems as well. Bless all the people on the front lines and Lord, uh, bring an end to this pestilence but As the pestilence is going on, I pray that many would turn to you, rededicate their lives to you. I want to rededicate my life to you. The Bible says if we confess your name before men, you can confess our name before the angels. And I confess my name before those watching and those here, that I believe that you are the Christ. And I claim the promise that as I confess your name, you can confess my name before God before the Father, your Father, and he can send the angels. And I ask that he would send the angels, not just around us here, but send the angels around those people that are caring for people in the hospitals, those people at home that are sick and suffering, those people where maybe they don't have any medical institutions or anyone to help them, and that you would send the angels around them, we pray, and we thank you, and we come in Christ's name. Amen and amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse